you're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. How are you? My name is Mike Petchy. This is my show. Come on in. Have a seat. Uh, no beers today. I'm trying to uh, cut back a little bit on uh, the amount of alcohol consumption that I've been doing lately. I've been doing a whole lot of hanging out with friends and taking meetings, and uh, it's been a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> it's been a lot. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about it at the back end of this episode. I'll catch you guys up on what's going on. I'm recording today's show on the, what is this, the 6th of uh, September? Is that where we are? Time travel? Um, so I'm going to try to get this episode out next week. So maybe what I talk about will be currently relevant and it won't just be uh, two or three weeks behind. That's what happens when you queue up a bunch of episodes. Um, well, we've been doing, we've been deep, 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 deep in uh, hard filmmaking episodes over the past few weeks. We've been talking about a lot of the realities behind uh, what it's like to make a movie, but also get a movie uh, out there to the public, whether you're talking film festivals, whether you're talking self-distribution. We've been talking about a bunch of that stuff, and today's episode is going to go pretty hardcore deep into it. You'll see, we jump right out of the bat. We start talking about film festival stuff because what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get good word of mouth for the good film festivals from filmmakers that are in them. And I want to know exactly what's happening because I continue, continue to get all these, these like real slime ball-y emails uh, for the film that I currently have out in the festival circuit. I get all these emails from festivals. Congratulations, sir. Uh, I saw that you're doing this thing and and I want to reach out to you personally and offer you a 70% discount. It, like it's, the vultures are fucking circling. Um, and so uh, I want to talk real talk on today's show about that. And I'm, I'm excited. So I've got two young filmmakers that are on the show, two very talented filmmakers that are on the show part of a talented filmmaking company, a very young company that's starting out, but the passion's there. Uh, the guys have the right frame of mind. Um, they care about making movies. They care about the people that work for them. Uh, all sorts of good stuff. So I enjoy the opportunity to promote and to sell folks that are making good content and give a shit. And that's what today's show ultimately is about. These two filmmakers made a movie called Me, Myself, and the Void. It's a comedy. It's sort of a cerebral whodunit. Uh, really interesting trailer, which if you guys want to see the trailer now, I'll put it, a link to it at inlovewiththeprocess.com. Michael, try to say that again. A link to it at inlovewiththeprocess.com. On today's episode page, go watch the trailer now. So you have your brains wrapped around the type of movie that these guys do the scope and scale that they're working at, it'll make a lot more sense when you hear us talking about filmmaking. So I suggest you do so. So on today's show, director Tim Hadakeet, right? Did I say that right? Hadakeet? Um, and Ryan Blewett, who is a producer and editor on Me, Myself, and the Void, they're joining me on today's episode. The irony here is that I booked this show um, through full... Full disclosure, booked this show through one of the PR firms that we work with. They were very excited to get us to connect. And it turns out that these dudes are calling in and they're literally fucking eight minutes from me. <laughs> we could have done this in person. The ball was dropped. 
We literally could have been sitting across from each other. Um, so uh, I'm excited. I actually talked to these guys offline. I'll probably hang out with them afterwards. So strap yourselves in. Like if you want to get a bit of inspiration, if you want to get a bit of guidance, if you want to, uh, to get a bit of fuel to help you uh, process that imposter syndrome, today's episode is going to give you all that. We're going to talk in detail about smart moves when you're making movies, about uh, how to treat people and how to be real clever about treating people and how to be kind to the people that you work with. Being kind goes a long way. We're going to talk about uh, producing independent films. We're going to talk about kickstarting. We're going to talk about all that. So if you're uh, if you're here to learn, uh, get your brain ready. Hope you had your brain food because we're going to fill it up. All right. Uh, before I do, I want to thank everybody that follows me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and follows the podcast. I'm in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process P-O-D on Instagram. I hope you guys uh, are enjoying my posts. Thank you, everybody that continues to ask to see 12KM and everybody that is signed up to be a super fan. If you don't know, when you get a link to see 12KM, there's a little part on that website that says, if you want to see my next film, you have to sign up with an email. We'll send you a link in October. We're going to do it closer to Halloween. I'm going to show who's there to all of the fans of 12KM, to all the super fans of this show. It is not going public yet. That is the only way you're going to see the movie. So make sure you sign up for it. Now, if you haven't signed up for it yet, if you haven't got a link, if you're in the long list to get 12KM, here's the deal. I'll do it for you right now. If you want to see 12 kilometers, super simple. The link for it is in my Instagram bio. And the password for that link is 12, the number one, the number two, K M. So capital K, capital M, three. 12 KM3 is the password. So if you want to watch that movie right now, if you want to sign up for the Superfans thing, you'll find the link for that in my Instagram bio at Mike Petchy. All right. Don't say I don't do anything for you. <laughs> All right, let's not let's not let's not uh, hold out any longer. Tim Ryan and I got a lot to talk about, so uh, strap yourselves in, make yourself comfortable, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of the Love of the Process. Tim, Ryan, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Hey, we're good. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Very excited to chat with the both of you. 
Um, I was uh, just uh, catching myself up to uh, your film. I just saw the trailer. I haven't seen the whole film, right? Is is the whole film Me, Myself, and the Void out right now, or is it just a trailer? Uh, so we are in sort of the midst of our festival run. Uh, right. We um, are having some conversations with potential distributors, so hopefully very soon we'll be able to answer that question with, Yes, it's available. Please, please check it out. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, right now we're sort of, uh, we had our world premiere at Dances with Films and we just screened at a festival in Italy called Not Film Fest. Nice. And uh, that's kind of where we are in the process right now. Yeah. How was Dances with Films? I've heard things about that festival. How was it? Good? It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was kind of, I think for the both of us, like our first genuine like festival experience, like had done, you know, some small stuff with shorts here and there, but Um, but it was amazing. Like it was one of the things that like really stood out about it was that it feels so like genuinely indie. Like everyone feels like a peer. Everyone is like very on the level and like you get this sense that like everyone really is coming from the same spot. Mm. Uh, and there was like some article that Tim references all the time. Um, when we were talking about the festival, that was like, you know, if you're looking at like a random selection of people that get into Tribeca or Sundance, like, it's extremely difficult to find someone who made it off an online submission because mm-hmm. um, for the most part, those things are like grifts and, and, and money, you know, it's just a way to get a lot of money for the festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you look at like a random selection of people who got into dances, like every single person got in off the online submission, like through film freeway. So it just feels like the spirit of like indie filmmaking is really, really alive there. Um, that's yeah. great. That's great to hear, man. Yeah, because this is it's funny that we're starting with this. This is something yeah. that uh we've been talking about on the show. I just finished a film and then I've been doing it's been years since I submitted to film festivals and I feel like there's a whole new grift <laughs> with all yes, the, there is. There is. Yeah, with a lot of these film festivals. And so uh, I'm trying to, you know, when I hear that there's a great experience, I'm trying to, you know, give credit where credit's due because I there's been a lot of negative experiences that I've heard about film festivals lately. So it, what was the, what was, the, I mean, besides the, well, first, how was the screening? Did they screen it in a real theater? Was did it sound good? Oh yeah. Yeah, dude. It's at like at the Chinese theater, like not like the, you know, the big Chinese theater, but like the Chinese theater that's in yes. uh, the sort of Hollywood Highland center. So like the screening quality is like amazing. Like it's all DCPs. So like the quality of your movie is going to be like, it's just not going to be better anywhere else. Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in fact, actually contrasting it with, you know, which for its own reason, we'd also say our experience at not film fest, which was the f- festival in Italy was also amazing, but it's actually interesting having contrasted the two. It's like not, you'd almost recommend more on like, it's just great energy. You get to meet the other filmmakers. Mm-hmm. It's such a great like sort of community experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas with dances, I think with a real straight face, you should say, Hey, if you really want to get that experience of seeing your, film projected at like the kind of quality that are at, as big as it's going to be. Yeah. yeah like yeah. I think it's worth it for that experience. And like the audiences for the most part, like you're, you're looking at like pretty packed houses. They do like really extensive tests on all the quality of everything. Mm-hmm. And so like literally could not say better things about the quality of the screening. That's great. And how was the rest of the film festival? Did, did they do a good job sort of mixing and blending filmmakers? Did they have like a filmmakers lounge? Was it, was it yeah. immersive to any extent or was it just about the screening? No, I would say that that felt like one of the the, the other things that, you know, again, with a, 
you, you know, every film festival is sort of supposed to say, hey, you know, we're really about the community and you're meeting your peers. And then obviously, as you know, it's because it's the right thing to say. But then the question is, you know, do they actually facilitate it? And I think Dances with Films was really good for that. Yeah, they had a, basically a filmmaker lounge that was always open. Um, and it was often one of the nicest elements of the fest was that if you got a chance to capture short block or you saw a feature that you liked, if you hung out in the filmmaker's lounge, decent chance you would bump into that filmmaker and get a chance to go talk to them about it. And, and obviously, you know, that whether it's about your own film or getting a chance to talk to somebody else about their film, like that, that's really one of the main reasons to go. It's that community stuff. And yeah. Yeah. They facilitated yeah. that so well. Yeah, I agree. The way, the way the theater is laid out too, like there's a huge lobby. And so there's, especially towards the end of the day, like there's always just hundreds of people in the lobby. So again, like if you see a screening, you're just going to hang out in the lobby and bump into the filmmakers if you want to talk to them or whatever. And, and uh, a lot of the features were having like pre-parties or after parties at some of the local bars and you could walk to those or drive to them if they're closed. And um, yeah, it was, it was literally like, it was just kind of like the, a pitch perfect theater uh, festival experience. It was just really amazing. Yeah. It's great, man. It's great to hear. I mean, that's the purpose. That's the only reason why I submitted the, the, the recent thing to a film festival. It's like, it's been a while since I've like, had that sort of mingle with other filmmakers and mingle with other actors. Yeah. And, and I always feel like it's a good thing to do for your talent when you have actors in your films. And we just did a, another short and we did something so quickly. And I was like, I'll just submit it because of the performance in it is fantastic. And I want that actor to be in front of other filmmakers. And I feel like that is a big portion of it. And you know what I was alluding to when I started <laughs> the show, uh, and we won't talk about this for the full episode, but what I was alluding to was that there's a lot of, there's grifts on these other film festivals where it's like, hey, congrats, you're in the film festival. It's screening online somewhere. I'm like, what the fuck use is that? <laughs> like, it, like, Yeah, yeah. It, it's weird. I mean, and there's like a few purposes of it, right? Like there's ones, and I don't want to like say any specific names to make sure. it feel bad, but like there's ones that like sort of copy the names of popular film festivals, yeah. but aren't actually a popular film festival. And then you sort of get that to put the laurels on your poster and get some clout or, you know, like, like there's like, it's just very weird that like, okay, you're going to pay a hundred dollars to like, quote unquote, win something at whatever fake festival. It's just, it's just really weird. It's just, it's just really weird. Yeah. And navigating the sort of what, what's legit, what have you heard of, who's been to, you know, like, I think all of that, um, it's, it's, it's tough out there. And, yeah. and, you know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I, uh, uh, coming across your podcasts among like was, was a cool thing, like, you know, enough mm -hmm. resources for like filmmakers being like connected and talking to each other. Cause you know, like there's, there's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot, it's, you've got to navigate through a lot of stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, that's why I'm asking you fellas. I mean, because it's, I'd rather hear it from word of mouth. What, uh, what was the Italian film festival that you went to? Yeah, so it was called uh, Not Film Fest, um, and it was funny. It was actually, uh, you know, recommended to us through a few different people who'd, who'd sort of connected to the programmer there. His name's Gio, really great mm -hmm. um, host and, and really good programmer. And I think, um, yeah, I, I, the, the way it was recommended to me, um, which was through a former, you know, a former film school, uh, there's, there was sort of someone who at the time was in charge of getting your student films uh -huh. in front of various festivals. And she basically said, you know, she said, 
look, you know, it's a, it's a smaller film fest, but it, but every filmmaker who uh, has been there has come back saying that they had a great experience, so that it, they really took care of the filmmakers. And I think having having been, we can certainly attest to that. Uh, you know, it was it was this past two weeks. Um, and really the big, the big thing I would say is just, you know, in this like very small village in Italy, you're, you're, you're having a lunch every, uh, there's a filmmaker lunch every day where they just lay out all these tables and they bring you delicious Italian food and you drink wine and you just get to talk to all the other filmmakers. Like it's quint, it's very Italian. It's extremely Italian. But, uh, but sort of, I think, you know, again, to that same think is you know i think as a filmmaker you're always asking yourself like okay what is the value of a film festival and to your you know i think there's there's there's, there's multiple uh things that can be useful from it but i think among them being yeah just feeling less alone and getting to meet people who are in the same boat as you and and, and sort of you know out there doing the hustle and actually making it and also getting to see films you would have not seen in, in any other circumstance you know so i think um yeah for sure yeah. for sure for sure all right. Well, let me let me start at the beginning here because we uh, we do we dove right in. That was my fault. Um, <laughs> so your film, uh, me myself in the void. How did this start? Like uh, like Tim, how did how did you get started with this piece? Um, yeah, I mean, so many years ago. I'd had the sort of just the very, I would say like the first five minutes of the film, like basically just an inciting incident, <laughs> which was, you know, what if two friends who were both in difficult places in their relationships sort of made a pact of like, hey, what if we, you know, what if we move in together? We both break up and move in together, but then one of them doesn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, that, you know, I, I think over the years, the more and more you write, you begin to learn the difference between, oh, that's a good, you know, that's a good moment, but not a story. Mm -hmm, yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that's basically where I was with that idea for a long time. It was sort of like, Oh, I like that setup, but what's the, what's the hook? What's the movie? And so at some point I was talking about it with Nick Aldershaw, who is a stand-up comedian and uh, someone who I've written with on a variety of short form things over the years. And he and I eventually kind of honed in on this idea of, well, okay. So then <laughs> what the, the friend who, who moves into the sort of bachelor pad without, the friend uh, without his without his mates, uh, you know. What if the structure of the movie was he's lying flat on the bathroom floor of his brand new bachelor pad, <laughs> and how did he get there? You know, and then and then once we sort of had that structure of like, oh, so it's just a fucking mystery, and he's and we've got it. That that sort of led to oh, that felt that felt like a not only it compelled us, and we then wanted to answer that question of like what events in our hero's life led. To, the, to, to, to this situation. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we started honing in on like, of course, and then we're going to have to start examining, well, what led to the breakup in the first place. And that really began to like open it up. Uh, and also it, it just felt producible, which is very quickly when, when I sort of, you know, went and spoke to Ryan about it because, you know, I feel like as a filmmaker, you're always told, oh, well, you just got to come up with that movie that you can go shoot right away, you know, and, 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 and you know, and that's basically they're saying a one location movie or a, or a contained budget movie. Yeah. But the thing is that you know, I feel like most filmmakers, I think that even though that's really good advice and people should take it, I think the, the difficult thing about it is I don't think that's often how the creative brain works. Like you don't tend to fall in love with an idea because, well, it's shootable. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, completely, like, completely. Because you like the characters and all these things, and so once we kind of 
you know, that this felt like the, the eureka moment of like, wait, this is that shootable movie because it's primarily going to be in this bachelor pad apartment <laughs> set. Uh, uh, and so then, yeah, I went and spoke to Ryan about it uh, because Ryan had, you know, produced uh, his own feature, you know, basically right out of school yeah. like right and yeah. and 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 so you know i knew ryan had a you know we'd worked together on various things over the years and i knew ryan had a had a real like come hello high water we'll get this done spirit and so basically i pitched him the story i kind of told him what it was about and then yeah that's that's when it kind of that's when it became a real thing you know once those things lined up how'd you how'd you guys meet initially uh, just kind of mutual friends, like like we've known each other for something like eight years, yeah. maybe give or take. Because um, like we both come from sort of like you know like dudes our age, uh, we're making YouTube videos in high school, mm-hmm. uh, and so sort of like a big network of people there. Uh, and then by the time Tim come to LA to go to USC to get his uh, master's in in film, just in film producing. <laughs> yeah, I went, to, I went to the stock program, so I did produce producing. Like my mutual friends from college and YouTube had sort of meshed with his mutual friends, and I think the first time we hung was going to see Spider-Man Two at midnight at the New Beverly. Yeah, that's how you know. That's how you know someone's a, someone's a good friend if they're willing a good a future friend if you're willing to go see Spider-Man Two at midnight, yes. like uh, years after it came out. And then from there, like he'd said, it was just like you know we were just the kind of we both had similar goals. And so like any type, any sort of YouTube video or sketch or commercial or funny or die thing, it was like, can you gaff? Can you act? Can you shoot it? Like, like it, there was no limit to like what How we were doing for each other. And then, uh, this was accumulation of all of that. Yeah. That's smart, man. I, I, that, that sounds like, uh, sounds a lot like, like what my story was coming up too, where, you know, it's about finding those friends. It's about finding those people around you that have like a common goal and then having the, you know, the ego check to be like, look, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to make uh, whatever we need to make. And if someone's successful, we're all successful. It, it seems to be. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The thing that we say around um, the office, like our company, the company that we work with, Echo Bend, um, where we are right now is uh, like the rising tide raises all ships. Like like any one person's success yep. uh, is good for everyone because like that person can bring in experience or uh, additional opportunities or whatever. Like there's no need to be jealous. Like if you're jealous of someone for something they've done, like you got to work on something. Like because, like, you know, th- their success does not detract from your own success. Right. And that's actually a really good point. I, I was just talking to a friend about that recently who were feeling envious and they were talking about someone else. I'm like, well, what the fuck are you shooting? <laughs> like go, yeah, right. go make something. And if envy really just sort of comes from, from being stagnant and, and judging yourself. Oftentimes I find folks that are envious of other people, they're actually judging themselves at that moment. And instead, oh, yeah. It's, yeah. instead of processing it the right way, they're letting it out on somebody else in that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. That's cool. And w- what's the deal with Echo Bend? Like, how did that, how did that company start up? Who's, who's behind that? Yeah. So, uh, so Tim and I met like, um, in like May, end of May, 2021, we were like freshly vaccinated and ready to take on the world. <laughs> and, uh, like right around the same time, um, uh, some friends of mine, Ryan Turner and Zubin Anglesaria, uh, had started the company like just a few months prior and I had already done like a commercial with them and, and they got in this office and we're just starting a company just trying to like kick off something new. 
Uh, and like, it was a very like non-political thing for us to like team up with them. Like Ryan was my first roommate in LA. I met him on Craigslist. Um, and we slept in a room that was so small. Our beds were like four inches apart. And, uh, and so we kind of came over to here and, and we told him what we were up to. We were going to make this movie for as little money as we could get it, you know, as we could get together. We gave him the script the next day. They were like, all right, we need to do this. This is, this really resonated with us. And then the partnership was sort of forged and that was just it. Um, yeah, I think it was also a similar thing of, I think, it was exciting to be in a partnership where, you know, for them as a growing production company, it was also exciting to mm -hmm. take on this like first movie, you know? So I think for everybody, it kind of felt like, uh, yeah, it was a true like shared experience of all of us kind of going, all right, you know, we, we, we believe in this, we want to make it happen. How do we, how do we work together to, you know, it was very egoless. Like, yeah. like you were saying that felt very special in, in a way that not all collaborations are yeah. <laughs> destined, yeah. you know? That sounds great, man. Well, let me ask a couple questions. You guys can answer that however you want. But um, what, what around what is the budget for the for the film? Um, we're not necessarily at liberty to unfortunately mm -hmm. talk. I would I would love to be uh, more forthcoming with it, but just certain. Mm -hmm. I understand certain deals, distribution wise, <laughs> otherwise um, prevent us from being totally explicit about it, which is. <laughs> like I, I just, I, you could, see, I think you could tell that like some part of me is just like, no, but I would love to tell you so everyone would have clarity on it. Um, we'll, we'll get a beer with you afterwards. Sure, we'll tell sure, you. sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. No, I figured, yeah. I figured I'd ask because you guys are talking to distributors, and the re the reason why you guys don't want to say anything for for those of you listening is that you don't want to undercut what you can get from your distributor. Exactly right. Like I, ideally, like before we make a s distribution deal hopefully someone looks at the movie and they're like, Oh, we, we think the value of this is like way more than it actually is. Yeah. Which is, a, uh, which is, a, but of course, needless to say it was a, you know, it was, of course it was an indie and we, 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 we had to, you know, really pull it together and all those yes. things. But uh, of course, yeah. of course, of course I understand. And uh, well, my second question, we'll see if you guys answer this one. How'd you guys end up raising the money initially for it? Did you, was this a crowdfunded thing or did you find like independent, uh, financing through it? Was there a fund that you guys were pulling from? Yeah, it was all independent financing. Um, our EP, Zubin, who is also one of the co-heads of Echo Bend, um, he uh, linked up the money through private equity. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and that was like, he's just like a total wizard. Like he, before starting the company, was like an amazing line producer for really big budget music videos, just really knows how to like wave a wand and make these things happen. And that's kind of what it felt like. Um, so we were really fortunate to be working with him um, to get the money together. Uh, that got us through production. Mm -hmm. And then we raised, we kickstarted $15,000. Um, two months after we finished shooting, a month after we finished shooting, mm -hmm. that helped us sort of get into post. Uh, and then there was a few small blips of money that we needed to get us through post because, because we were so tight and because we were really at the tip of the spear building the track in front of us, it was sort of like, get us through production, take a deep breath. Okay. Now, how are we going to figure out sure. post? Okay. Now are we going to figure out finishing stuff like that? Sure. So. Sure. 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 And how was the kickstarting process for you guys? Like, was it, uh, was it a difficult thing? Cause I, I, I still have to do an episode on Kickstarter cause I've done Kickstarters in the past and, uh, mm. it's, it's, doing a Kickstarter, a successful Kickstarter campaign is almost like running its own production in itself, which I felt. Yeah. 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 yeah I think, we were perhaps 
blessed in that. So I'd done an Indiegogo campaign prior. Mm -hmm. And I think also both of us had like seen and been part of enough projects that involved some kind of crowdfunding element that we certainly knew uh, what were potential pitfalls to avoid. Mm -hmm. I mean, for instance, certainly instantly one for your listeners would be, be careful of promising physical goods because, because you, it is, it is very easy to make the promise of like, Oh, you'll all get, you'll all get a poster or a t-shirt or some kind of, but then, you know, when, when, when the following year you're, you're months behind having to like package every single (laughs) one yourself and post them, like it's a very easy, uh, sort of, it's an easy promise to make. And then the reality of doing it, is very hard sure, uh, sure. So, so we tried to make sure that everything we were offering was something you know that we felt was of value but also deliverable on our end mm-hmm. so you know that would range from things like you know a lot of the people we were going to were like you know uh you know i was promoting it on on uh you know my my, my youtube channel and to my audience who i sort of built early in my career so a lot of stuff was kind of assuming that it would be fellow filmmakers mm-hmm. and people who were kind of interested in filmmaking so so among them was for instance we, we really committed to like a filmmaker package uh which is like a google drive of documents yes. uh shot lists storyboards previs iphone videos stuff like that so you yeah. could really see like the process of actually getting into making a film smart yeah, yeah. exactly very smart yeah, yeah. Because it was kind of, you know, it's kind of that thing of like, I don't believe in, you know, I, I feel like it's always fun to give back that stuff and go like, hey, I'm not going to be secretive about this. You no, know, if you're sure. interested, you want to see it, you know, like, and then that's fine. Yeah. Uh, and we also like didn't at that point, because it was so early in the process, we didn't offer screeners or copies of the movie. Yeah. Um, like that was all, that was just not part of it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I think, you know, and then, and then, I mean, certainly, um, did I, you know, did our due diligence, we, we launched it along with like a video where we obviously gave our pitch of like what, where we were in the process. I certainly think if you're in the position to do so, a post, uh, fundraiser is nice because you're able to sort of share, look, the movie exists and you can show little clips from it and kind of, uh, make your pitch be help us finish it. I think that's sometimes a more compelling pitch to, to, to people coming in. Uh, and then the other part was, um, yeah, you know, like <laughs> the 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 classic uh, every Kickstarter goes through. I think you know you always you you open big and then it's briefly a little scary and then a lot of the investment comes in <laughs> towards the towards the end of the of the the you know. But those are just things to deal with mentally, I suppose. Um, for sure, and for sure, and a lot of promoting it. That's the other thing. You know, I think if you. Uh, Self-promotion is obviously part of this industry, but for some people it's easier, it comes easier than for others. You'd think, <laughs> considering my YouTube background, that I'd be really good at it. Uh, it's for some reason does not, I do, I do not mentally enjoy being in the state of having to ask for money and promote on social media constantly. <laughs> yeah, but certainly yeah. there's a mental component that I would, that I would uh, just flag for anyone looking to do one. But, you know. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, I've said this before. The, when you do a Kickstarter campaign or you do any sort of crowdfunding, you have to realize that you're relying ultimately on your current contact list. Like you're relying ultimately on on the circle of people that are around you. And those are the people I think that are going to give you more than, you yeah. know, strangers do. Um, and I, like I said, I should do a whole episode on it. We, we had a very successful campaign. Uh, I think we raised a, close to 20 um, for just a short um, and it, like, there's a whole system to it that works really well. And 
We offered up a bunch of different things, and I completely understand what you're saying about offering up the goods, like the hard goods, because we were giving away like prints, and we had all these other things that were involved with it. Like I, one of the things that we were offering up were what was access to see one of the movies that weren't public that we had already done. So like, there's like a good exchange between uh, transactional exchange for strangers to come in and go. All right, if we give you twenty bucks, or if you give me forty bucks. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll throw a shirt in the mail and we'll throw a link to see this movie that you've already wanted to see anyway. So that's something separate. Um, and then we also found that one of the more successful parts of our campaign were added, we're doing add on incentives. So like you said, it's like, it's almost like smoking a brisket, right? You get to a certain temp and then it levels off and you're not really getting to a temperature and you, you, you hit like sort of like that. Uh, th that stall is what they call it. Where like in the middle of your your Kickstarter campaign, you're like, well, no one gives a fuck anymore. <laughs> yeah. And right about then, it's almost like you have to schedule all these different releases when you do this. And right about then is when I was starting to do add-on incentives, where it was like, hey, everybody that's already given us cash, if you add fifteen dollars more to this, then I'll throw another print into the shipment that you get, or you'll get access to this thing, um, which helped us get through the stall. And then into the back end where, you know, most of the cash came out. So th there's, there's a bunch of, for those of you listening, there's a bunch of different techniques that you can do for this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, man. Well, it's cool that you guys had a successful campaign and, and um, I haven't looked at your, uh, your YouTube stuff. Like what kind of audience do you, do you have at YouTube? Um, well, you know, I think I was sort of doing it. You know, I was truly stumbled into YouTube, I would say. Like, I was making fan films in the garden back in 2005, 2006, you know, like me and my brother sl <laughs> smashing toy lightsabers into each other and putting the Revenge of the Sith soundtrack underneath it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that kind cool. of thing. Uh, and then... And then sort of, you know, coincidentally, by sort of uploading these things, sort of starting to realize that people other than my brother were watching the videos. <laughs> um, and, and so... You know, by the time I was really like growing an audience and, and, and uh, I, w I would probably say it kind of became sketch comedy. You know, I certainly did some some of the like early vlogging and that kind of thing. And so I think at my peak, I would certainly say that my audience skewed female, you know, like that was mm -hmm. always kind of cool about watching demographics. You could be like, OK, 13 to 17 year old girls, you know, and, and like, I mean, you know, <laughs> do the math. I guess I was a I was an 18 year old British boy with floppy hair. So I suppose like that was probably that was probably part of it. Um, that should have been uh, that should have been the lead on your yeah, Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Now, now, not old and less attractive. Yeah. You, what, what, uh, but, but the hair is still fine. Yeah, the hair, the hair has remained fine. Um, but uh, yeah, so. And, and then, and then I will say, you know, and again, that's kind of what's interesting about, you know, <laughs> what is an interesting side effect about kind of, you know, continuing to do the filmmaking stuff on YouTube is that what, what does happen, I did notice was over time, you know, the, 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 that audience became more like 50, 50, the more and more like filmmaking and the more and more I started disappearing, uh, behind the camera, I, I certainly noticed an increase in like, okay, now it's, now that it's truly like a sketch comedy thing and short films and web series, you know, I, it became much more like 50, 50, um, boys and girls though. Usually again, like just, <laughs> just a generation behind us. So that, that's kind of who I knew I would be like speaking to if I was going tonight, my, my, my YouTube audience. Uh, are you, uh, how, are, however you many are you still fueling that YouTube, uh, that YouTube audience with content? Are you still doing stuff for YouTube or where you went with that now? Uh, yeah, not really. I think, you know, uh, 
it, it was interesting, but the decision to go to uh, the, decision, the decision to do my masters and, and, and move out of London, which is where I was living when I was sort of doing that full time, uh, was you know I, I was aware at the time you know that that it was certainly shooting <laughs> shooting that aspect of my career in the foot, uh, uh, but that doesn't mean I didn't still make some sketches while out here and I and and, and I took opportunities. But for instance, really, what it wound up leveraging into was I was able to present myself as a director to, for instance, Funny or Die, and we made some things that were sort of in the same zone, you know, it was like, Hey, I have some comedy background. Could I, could I direct something to you guys? We actually directed something called, uh, I actually directed something called how to get out of a speeding ticket, which wound up doing very well for funny or die. Nice. Uh, keeps popping up. Weirdly a gift that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as that YouTube audience, you know, I, 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 I like to think, you know, like, uh, it's, it's a difficult game. I think if you're in the filmmaking thing, unless you've like really hit it big, like the corridor digital guys or like Frank W and you've really managed to kind of make like a, like, Hey, I'm a filmmaker and I do, uh, you know, like, unless you've kind of figured out a way to do both. Uh, and for me as someone who is primarily interested in directing, I wasn't actually that passionate about being on camera. Mm. Uh, you know, that's also the thing, right? Like YouTube, <laughs> with YouTube, like your face is the brand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so as you start disappearing behind the camera, like th there's less of like a connection to you. So, uh, it became harder and harder to like, for the things I wanted to make, it became hard to just keep feeding the, the algorithm to put that. All right, it's time to take a second show some support to the folks that make this show possible I'm talking about the sponsors and first up our friends over at fujifilm fujifilm is the ultimate place to go if you're looking for a new camera whether it's a still camera whether it's a video camera go check out their gfx 100s go check out their h x 2s i think i said that right i always fuck that up fujifilm they hate me for that um, I love that camera. So go check them out. Best place to go for that camera that you want to have in your home. That camera that you can turn to at any point of the day and decide that you're going to make something great. The camera that you can use to practice your skills as a cinematographer. The cameras that you can use to shoot the type of photography in your driveway that'll end up on billboards in Times Square because it has the uh, the dynamic range, but it also has the uh, the pixel resolution that you need. I love their cameras. The GFX 100S is a beautiful rig, and pa I pair that with our Photo Deox lens adapter. And we're able to throw old school Mamiya lenses on there if we want. Just the Fujifilm lenses alone are beautiful, but just having that ability to throw PL mount lenses on the video camera that they have. And their video cameras shoot 4K, ProRes. ProRes 4K in camera. They're fantastic for it. And a lot of their rigs have flip around screens. So if you're doing your YouTube content, if you're doing your web series with, with their fucking auto tracking, autofocus stuff, it's, a, it's insane. I can't say enough great things about Fujifilm. Can't say enough great things about their camera. But be sure to check out all of the Fujifilm Creator Series episodes that we do on the show and you'll go further down the rabbit hole on how this company actually supports filmmakers for real. Can't say enough great things about Fujifilm. Make sure you click the links in the description of today's episode. That's your homework. That's why the show's for free. Click the links as you're listening and check them out, man. Check out their refurbished link that I put down there. 
Maybe that lens that you couldn't afford at full price is available refurbished. All that stuff you'll find in the description of today's episode. All right. Also supporting the show is our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in the marketplace for a edit machine, if you want to build a new Photoshop machine, if you want to get your hands on a 6K video editor, like 25 tracks of video, real-time playback, you want a Puget System. Go to PugetSystems.com. It is the resource if you're going to build your own PC. They benchmark test all their equipment, all the hardware that exists out there in the marketplace. Uh, And when you buy a Puget System, they send you this little folder with everything in it, including each and every individual that built the computer. Tells you the name of each person that puts puts the stuff together. And I've been to the Puget Systems office space. I know that it is a family-run company. It is a smaller company. I know I've seen the spaces that they put the computers together. It's the shit. They talk about human real-time customer support. If you're in the market for a computer, build yourself a PC. It's upgradable. You're not paying for the unboxing experience and you're building a tool that's going to work for you. All right. PugetSystems.com, the place to go. Also supporting the show are friends at Boca Rentals. Now we're talking about being uh, independent film producers, smart independent film producers. One of the things that is a smart move is to try to find a rental company that you can form a relationship with. A rental company that you sort of establish a long-term relationship with, where you go to them with your paying gigs and you say, hey, this is a music video or commercial. I can give you guys full rates for these things, but also I'm going to be shooting a personal project next week. What kind of deals can we get? You can't do that with the big places. The big places don't give a fuck. You got to form a relationship with your boutique small rental rental houses. And Boca Rentals is my favorite here in Los Angeles. And just because I called it a boutique rental house, it doesn't mean it doesn't have all the gear that you want. These guys, their inventory is loaded with the sexiest lenses on the marketplace, the best camera bodies and the best camera support on the marketplace. Go to BocaRentals.com. Check them out on Instagram, Boca Rentals, the place I go here in Los Angeles. And if you do go, send me a photograph of you there. Send it on Instagram and say, hey, man, I'm at Boca. And let them know I sent you. All right? It's nothing better than hearing a truck backing down the street during my ad reads. Ah, the beauty of Glendale. Back to the show. It's interesting, right? It's an interesting thing. Like the two guys that did uh, the recent horror, they talked to me. They, I saw an interview with them, and they were talking yeah. about, yeah, they, they were talking about how difficult it became. I, mean, I think they had a different struggle because a lot of their stuff was like very violent and action oriented, and the YouTube algorithm started to to sort them out as they decided to get into sort of like content, you know like what's the term I'm looking for they they were they they decided that they didn't want to promote the violent stuff so their 
their audience started to fall apart because of that. And I think they jumped full-fledged. They used that as a reason to jump full-fledged into filmmaking, which they wanted to do anyways. Um, and it, it's, a, yeah. it's an interesting thing, right? Because you look at our business right now, and our business, it's, it's fucking crazy right now between everything that's happening, well, without even sort of discussing the, the strike and sort of the lack of anything that's happening right now with this business. But it's like, we're, it's such an oversaturated field, right? There's so many young folks. There's so many people out there that have movies, have pitches, have stuff that want to get made. And sort of the traditional route for making movies has changed, right? And um, my, my, my success comes from a model that I don't know if it still exists, but, but the model that I found my success in was the same model that, you know, David Sandberg found his success with Lights Out, where, you know, uh, agencies and management literally had departments that were hunting for short filmmakers that were making short films and they would gobble up those short films. And then if they, fe especially in the horror genre, if they felt like it was something that they could sell, then they would package it and send it to all the same production companies that they interacted with all the time. And then hopefully your horror film would be greenlit. So I was at that sort of stage of things. And then we've now progressed into the influencer stage of things where you've got some of the largest agencies in the country uh, now just signing straight up influencers on their fucking roster mm -hmm. for stuff. And, and like you said before, that's all about your face, right? That's all about the recognition of your face and whether or not your fans know who you are and making that transition into being just a director um, where it's your work that is standing out in front of you and not necessarily your face is a difficult thing. And there are filmmakers out there that have done it successfully in the past. You get like the Kevin Smiths that have done that really well. You've got like the Tarantinos that have done that really well. But it's it's an interesting thing because I think a lot of YouTubers, as I close my rant here, I think a lot of YouTubers out there are like, I'm going to go into YouTube and I'm going to push real hard for YouTube because then I'm going to direct and that's my angle. And it seems like the success that I've seen with that are folks that get frustrated fueling this, this never-ending like, uh, you know, voice of God from an algorithm and then just jumping ship and going, fuck it, I'm going to focus completely on filmmaking. It's almost start over again, which is crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 that's, that's certainly, yeah, it's funny. That feels like certainly relevant to, 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 you know, what, what my journey was just even, I think even just from the point of view of, I think what's difficult and, and it depends and, you know, it can make like, it's a different beast now YouTube period than it was, you know, I feel like when I first stumbled into it, but it's, you know, on the one hand, there's a lot of transferable skills, right? Like yes. if you're just starting yes. out, yeah, man, make things, put them on YouTube. Like you're, you're going to be learning how to frame things, set up your camera. You're going to be learning how to do, you're going to be editing all the stuff yourself. Make a hundred videos on YouTube. If your hundredth video isn't better than your first video, you probably need to reconsider this. <laughs> you know, like you're learning, you're learning a lot of skills that I think are so transferable and useful, but exactly. I think at some point, there's this like fork in the road and I find, at least I find that it, it just sort of becomes a different, um, the needs to succeed there become so different from what yeah. it takes to, 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 to go into a more traditional like filmmaking path that you at some point need to, you know, either you figure out a way to do both. And like you said, there are plenty of examples, but I, I certainly had that moment of going, I don't think this is the path for me to keep going down this direction. You know? Yeah. 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 And, 
what else is what 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 is interesting too and and Ryan you may be able to chime in on this is that yeah. when I got started in this business I decided that I was going to do music videos first and I I got started as a director in like 2000 like 1999 2000 was when I started and so when I jumped into the music video world I was jumping in at the end of the music video world like the budgets that we were working with as a total was what the directors would have as their take home for, for the videos prior to that. And, and so we're in this world of like, well, let me just hustle and struggle and, and build and try to put these things together on no money. It's a great learning experience. If you're trying to figure out how to produce, like there's a, there's a great sense of uh, production skills that you find through that. But um, you you sort of hit this point where you realize that that beast doesn't ultimately lead to filmmaking. And that process doesn't lead to filmmaking. Sure, I learned how to interact with crews. Sure, I learned how to work with the latest gear and equipment. And sure, I learned how to deliver to companies that need me to deliver to them. But, you know, I think I got lost in that game for way too fucking long. And I think I was hiding in that game for way too long. And what it literally took was my near-death injury for me to go, fuck this. <laughs> and, and, and really sort of jump into the filmmaking world, which... Once I made that leap hard into it, I realized I sort of, it's like you walk into a whole new fucking room and you look yeah. around and you go, holy shit, there are skills here that I don't even fucking know that have absolutely nothing to do with setting up a camera, using a camera, talking to talent, talking to crew. There is sort of this whole networking game, this bipolar fucking depression management, like <laughs> all this shit that comes with being a filmmaker that if I had started that earlier, then maybe, and if I had committed to that earlier, then maybe I'd be further than I was now. And I know that's an unhealthy statement to make, but it's the reality of the fucking statement. Like, how much time and energy did I waste in the music video world when I could have just jumped into that game quicker? I don't know if you guys feel the same way. No, yeah, man, it's so interesting, right? Like, like, and I, I hear you on the music video thing because, like, I like my bread and butter, like, right now is music video directing. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, because uh, to be certain, we have made zero dollars on this feature film that we made, but uh, I've made <laughs> negative uh, thousands of dollars. Um, but uh, and it's hard because you know it, it's kind of like with filmmaking and chasing like a bigger dream. Like I want to direct features or I want to direct TV or I want to write, you know, whatever it might be. It's almost like you need to figure out a way to keep yourself afloat. Yes. And yes. You, you, you can make, you need to make an active decision and you need to like a lot of aspects of your life, like continue to check in with that decision of like, is the thing that's going to keep me afloat also filmmaking related? Like, cause like music videos, if you're full bore into music videos, like that can be very draining, but yeah. also you get a ton of experience and you get to learn this and see this weird thing. And, and if you want to be on sets, like, well, music video artists, like artists are a great way to like get money that you're just not going to, you know, because there's a product there and you're not going to get money for a short film that no one really wants to see. You know? Um, yeah. Or, or, or do you want to like work a nine to five or do you want to work an office? You know, like you need to like really actively check on that balance. And I know that like, like for me, it's been, it's been sometimes it's editing. Like I do editing jobs for, um, mm -hmm. uh, 
bigger companies or whatever. And I'll do that until a point where I'm like, oh, this is not serving me anymore. I'm feeling actually really drained by this. Time to take a little bit of a break and just kind of stay fresh. It's kind of like uh, it's like it's like you're at you're at war. Like you need to like constantly be thinking like, how can I keep my creativity alive? And at what, you know, making sure there's no cost to that and just whatever that takes is whatever you need to do. Let me ask a question and answer it if if you feel like you want to. But how long have you guys how long have you guys been in the business now? Like how many years have you guys been working in the business? Um, about 10 for me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think I'd probably, I'd probably say the same thing. Like, you know, cause again, there was the, it overlaps, right? Like I was coming up on doing that YouTube stuff a lot while I was doing my first degree, which was film history and stuff, but I'm going to go ahead and even though lots of work came out of that time, I would say in LA since graduating, I'm, I'm about on, I'm on eight or 10, depending on if I count when I was doing my degree. It makes, yeah. It, it, it makes a lot of sense guys. Cause, cause we're talking about the 10,000 hours. We're talking about all that kind of shit. And so yeah. when, when you, you guys are right at that point, it's great that you're doing a movie right now. Cause you get, you guys yeah. are right at that 10 year point for me. I think I crossed when I hit 10 years, I started to find, cause I was very similar. I was doing music videos like crazy. And I was doing commercials like crazy. And it was taking up so much of my fucking life, but I was, was in it because I felt like I had to be in it. I had a company and that company, I was fueling that company. I had employees for that company. I had to fuel them as well. And that became part of my my thing. You know what I mean? And, and you almost, I found myself uh, feeling trapped by it at a certain point where I was like, fuck it. I just, I'm just fueling this beast. I'm looking around and, and you know, my buddies who I love so much are like, I'm buying a new car. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's this level of like, what am I doing? And I, I hit that. I think at my 10, eh, it's probably like 11 year mark, 10, 11 year mark was w- when that happened. Um, and I think that I knew and I felt that and I still stayed in the business, I think a little too long. I, I still stayed with it for another two or three years, which if I have any regret, it would have been, I would have jumped out immediately when I started to feel that urgency. Because I, I think what ends up happening is, I don't know. And I don't want to get too negative, but I think what I found was that I was busting my fucking ass consistently and making work for, at least in the music video world. And I don't want to shit on it, but I also want to be honest about it. I feel like I was working so hard for these, these labels and these brands and these folks, and I wasn't getting the return from it. The budgets weren't enough the amount of time that you put into these kind of things, you sort of assess the amount of time and energy that you were putting into it and going like, well, shit, I got paid as much as a McDonald's employee does when you sort of break down the amount of math and the hours that were involved with that fucking thing. And then, you know, you're dealing with labels that are oftentimes refused to even put your name underneath it as a crew member or a director. And you're like, well, what the fuck did I do this for to begin with? And then you hit a point where you go, there has to be a better way for me to be making money and there has to be a better way for me to be making my own IP and my own material that then I could sell later and then I could use as uh, a selling tool for myself later. So there's a piece of me, as I sort of say this out loud and I rant a little bit here, there's a piece of me that like kind of looks at the YouTube model as like, well, at least you own the fucking content that you were spending all the time working on, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, and I think I think also, and maybe this, I think this kind of connects to the conversation that we're having. But 
you know, it's, it's interesting because when you're, when you're first starting out and you're hungry and you, you know, you need that attitude of like, I just want to do, I just want to do yeah. like making something better than nothing. I just need to constantly make things. And then, and then, and then, and, and that's great. Cause that's how, like you said, you log those hours, you gain all that experience. And then of course, at some point you need to have a moment of like, going, well, you know, <laughs> just, I've made a lot of things, making things just for the sake of making things is not enough. And you need to be maybe a bit more critical and, and, yeah. and, and, and I feel like that stuff also sometimes goes in waves, right? Because then I think there are some people who take that step back and then start to go, well, I'll only make something when it's right. And then it's never right. And then they lose that, that, that drive of like, Hey, generally it is better to have made something like, you know, yeah, I always yeah, kind yeah. of have a philosophy of like, <laughs> I never wanted to be a director who was asked, Oh, what's the last thing you directed? And that my answer would be like, Oh yeah, a web series five years ago. You know, I, I never wanted. I never wanted the the. I always wanted to at least be able to point to something from at least the last year. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That, that, that said, you know, I I, I completely uh, I do, I do I do agree with the, the 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 nuance would at least be that when you're kind of which is also quite frankly how the YouTube thing felt in the beginning. In the beginning, it felt very you know the the, the jokey term I used for it was it was pretty punk rock at the start. Sure. You know? It sure. was very much like, hey, we're just, you know, no gatekeepers. Like, we're just going to make... <laughs> it was the Wild West. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. It was the Wild West. And, yeah. and, and then at some point when it became, as as, as we've sort of uh, referred to it a couple of times, once it became like, just, just feed the algorithm, just make more content. Like, you know, it's funny, I'm about to sound very, you know, prematurely for my age, but old man yells at cloud about the fact that like, I remember because it was the Wild West, like I remember like <laughs> early days of like, there's a YouTube space and we're going to invite all the creators in and we're going to start. And then I remember top down from Google employees, them starting to use the word content. Yeah. Like I was like, I was in the room when they started using the word guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it went on to destroy the industry, right? Yeah. Like we went from yeah. that to Martin Scorsese content creator on max, you know, yeah. like, which again, thankfully there was blowback in it and, and they reversed course on it. But I remember, and we made fun of it at the time. We yeah. were like good content, hashtag good content. Like it instantly was a joke to us, yeah. but yeah, it's like, once it becomes that, once it just, that's, that's, that's when you begin to lose the faith in, you know, you know, I, I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to defend the, the things I was making at 17 is like, Oh, that was high art, you know, but at least it was like, but it was coming from a place of, I wanted to make it. So, you know, yeah. like, and I think now yeah. it's just become feed the, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Feed the beast at whatever the cost is. Just make sure you have stuff. Like once you lose the soul in it, that becomes a bit. Right. You know? Right. Then, then the next thing you know, you're some weird freelance employee. You know, it, 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 it's, yeah, I agree with that, man. And I, I think that's the hardest part, right? Because I, and you guys sound like you had the same passion, right? Like there hits this point where you, you see a movie or you uh, read a comic book or you listen to a song and you sort of see through it. It's like you, you decide to take the right pill, right? You're sitting across from Morpheus and you take that pill and suddenly you understand a little bit more. Suddenly you look through the curtain and you go, oh shit, outside light is actually blue light. It's HMIs. You know what I mean? Like, or you're like, this is how a, a song is put together. And this is how this is. And once you take that, that pill, there's no real turning back. At least for me, there was it where you go, this is what I fucking want to do, man. Like, this is, this is my thing. Like, I love the magic show that is telling stories and making movies. It's, it's this really crazy collection of, of trade and imagination and art 
and there's so much for me to fucking learn here. Let me dive mm -hmm. into this. And I feel like 10 years is pretty much what most any director that I've talked to on the show, you sort of, it takes you about 10 years to sort of walk out of that, uh, that, that like, you know, sandbox of learning and, and just go like, all right, I think I got my head wrapped around what I should yeah. be doing here, but it's, it, yeah. it's aggressive. And, and there are so many different paths, whether you're doing the YouTube stuff or whether, and I, I just want to be clear. I wasn't shitting on music videos. I was shitting on the business and I, Oh yeah. Yeah. The business is ruthless, man. I yeah. mean, it's like, like something I was just telling, like one of my very, very best friends from growing up who has a script he's been working on for a few years for feature and he really wants to make it. He feels feeling very called to like get it together, even though he's got three young kids and he just a really passionate dude. And he was, we we're talking budget and you know, he doesn't have a ton of producing experience. And I said, listen, man, like, you gotta, you need to do this for like a third of the money you think you need to do it for. Yep. You're not going to make that money back. And probably it's not going to do anything for your career. If you can stomach all of those things and you still want to do it, then you deserve to do it. <laughs> and yeah. you need to continue to stomach that until one or all of those things start to melt away. Like, like if you can if you can really internalize, like I'm not going to be, cause listen, like not to say that there's not Kevin Smith's and Chris Nolan's out there that maybe do a thing and then it pops them into the big thing. Like that still happens from time to time. Mm -hmm. But like, I think that what you're looking at more now is like, um, oh man, of course I'm going to uh, blank on the name, uh, Benson and Moorhead from San Diego. Like these two guys that, uh, Justin Benson, and Aaron Moorhead, who actually weirdly Tim and I met at a party and totally goofed out on them. Um, um, <laughs> But there's these two guys who made like three or four indie features for just a couple hundred thousand dollars before they even had an opportunity to work at a studio level. And then they did Moon Knight. Then they did Loki. Like, like now they're the guys, but like they were spinning the wheels and doing it in a small way for years. And I think that that's more the model now. And the, the thing that is consistent is like, you gotta, you need to need to do it. Yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, to, to back to the, um, uh, like sort of jumping off that, I, I think something that, you know, and, and it's funny because you, you, you listen to an industry veterans talk about this and, you know, they basically, often the advice comes back to, you just have to, you just have to focus on the craft. You just have to learn to love the craft, which, you know, brings us back to like what, what I feel like is beautifully the theme of your podcast. You know, mm -hmm. I, I do think you have to kind of love to, you have to love the work and you have to feel, you have to get, gratification out of getting better at the craft and and you know and i think something that the sort of you know here we are if we hadn't made this movie we wouldn't be sitting here having this nice conversation with you and and and, mm -hmm. and, and meeting fellow filmmakers out there in the space and or going to, to italy or exactly. going to dances yeah yeah getting to have those experiences you know uh, that has value and you need to learn to see that as value because yeah. i think if you're completely focused on just like a bottom line of what's it going to do for my career and all these different things. I mean, I think it's just, then it just becomes so hard to stomach. Cause I also feel like that's also a path that <laughs> there's no end to that. Right. No. Like there's always, <laughs> there's always something else. There's always, yeah. Oh, it could have been more successful or it could have yeah. gotten into this festival. Or it could have gotten, I don't know. And team making is a team sport in that, like the reason you bring a DP on or production designer is because you can't possibly as a director carry everything in your head. Yeah. You need to bring a production designer on and mm -hmm. let them take, take their tasks away and the DP is going to take their tasks away. 
And in the same way, like as a director, and it's hard to get to this point, of course, but like the money, the bottom line, all of that, like you're going to, you're going to bring in the producer or the, the EP or whoever it's going to be project to project. And they're going to stomach the money problems. And you need to have like fostered and grown your passion to the point where that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. 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 Because you need that. Without that, then the movie's going to suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. like, what are you in it for, man? You know, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. it's like something uh, that I've been kind of saying recently is like, like a lot of people, a lot of filmmakers talk about like getting connected to why they want to be filmmakers. Like, like you know, you might uh, feel a little burnt out, need to get reconnected with that. But I think that's actually there's a deeper question there, which is like, why do you want to live, dude? Like, like, why? Do, what's making you wake up in the morning? Like, like, are you living a good life in this filmmaking part of it? Like, like, you got to go all the way back to the basis of why you're breathing, and that's the that's where the answer to why you want to be a filmmaker is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's it's well put, man. And it's a very it's a very it needs to be a romantic way of thinking about it, and I think. I think the scientific way of thinking about that is that ultimately if that's your focus and that's why you're doing it, then you can survive all the shit that's going to come at you because, because most of it is denial. Most of it is rejection. Um, most of it is uh, uh, self-doubt. Like all these things sort of kick and rear their ugly head. And I think as a filmmaker myself, the only reason why I've survived this long is that I know for fucking fact that you put me in a space with a camera and I have what I need to do, I'm going to make something that's great. And I know I'm going to make something that people like. I know because I've, I've spent the time doing that. I've spent the time learning the skills to do that. And there's a, a strange sense of comfort that comes from, I always say like the most relaxing moment for me is when I call action because everybody else has to shut the fuck up. <laughs> it, 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 in that space, like that's like the ultimate moment where you can learn. That's the ultimate lo- moment where you can, uh, discover, because I find that the most exciting part of filmmaking for me isn't knowing all the fucking answers, isn't sitting down with a pad and piece of paper and putting something down that is, you know, genius. It's the idea of convincing people and money to allow me to sit there and have a moment with people in front of a camera or with a lighting team or with a dolly grip and and being able to go, can we just figure this out real quick? And then looking at the monitor and going, fuck, that's a whole new world, man. What did we just do there? That's a whole new fucking world that we just made. Yeah, yeah. that really, that, that, that definitely resonates. I agree. It's actually, it's funny because I feel like it's often speaking of kind of, you know, again, the theme of just putting in the time and, you know, often, often for a lot of directors, I feel like the whole arc is going from learning that I think at the beginning you always think, oh, directing is telling people what to do. Like it's being the guy like, and, and just having things to say about, and then, and then, and then, you know, to, to your point, a lot of what you learn over the years is wrapping your head around the contradiction of, yes, you need to have a vision and you also have to absolutely accept the fact that you don't know what you're making and yes. that it's going to reveal itself to you and that people are going to bring you ideas that you would have never thought of. And that it's, and the better you can wrap your head around both of those things are true uh, the more, the more, the more satisfaction you learn to get out of the process. Cause I mean, I agree. Like it's constantly discovering. Yeah. It's like, you think, you know, what you're making and then you make, and then you, and then it's there in front of you and it's different, but it's maybe better. Or is it different in an interesting way? And, and, and sort of, yeah, learning, learning to sort of simultaneously have that incredible prep and let go, you know, it's, it's, it's hard 
but but that's the job, you know, it's getting better at that. Well, and any of the big guys, right? Like any of the guys that are like at the top of Mount Rushmore right now, if it's Nolan or if it's Tarantino or PTA or whoever, like when you're younger, I think there's a tendency to think of them as these like fucking dark wizards who <laughs> generate a movie. And like, but, like if you look at like a movie that's as, as top to bottom as Licorice Pizza or, or Phantom Thread or something like that, it's not like he's making the dresses, you know, like, like, like he's not doing that. He's yeah. like, like he's, he's a, he's a guy who is a good guy and curates people around him and the, and the space between him and the team and the space between the team members and each other is generating that thing, you know, like, like, yeah. like it's, there's, yeah. And you need to think of that, about that. Like, like you need to, there's a reason why certain like big filmmakers who have reputations for being assholes don't make movies that often. Sure, sure. And here's what's interesting, right? Because uh, what we're saying here is is completely correct. And it's it's very healthy. And it's if we're if you're talking, talking to like a younger filmmaker that's listening to the show right now, we were discussing how the first 10 years are you playing in the play box and learning your your tricks and learning your gravity and finding your love and finding the the, the comfort in the storm where you can go and, and, and create. That's the first step. Second step is what we're talking about right now, which is like then humbling yourself and understanding and learning that uh, that imposter syndrome that you're feeling because you didn't come out of your mother as a genius, <laughs> like we thought so many of these other directors did. You're finally understanding that a lot of the stuff that we've seen is all you know PR and stories that are written to sell movies that when you actually, and that's what I've done on the show, when you actually sit down and you talk to these folks, this, we're having the same conversation that we're having. Like me and Joe Carnahan well, are having the same conversation that you and I are having right now. you know, Or me and Eric Messerschmidt, who just shot Ferrari, we're having the same fucking conversation. So that's healthy. The next thing that I've been learning, which is like an interesting conversation to have, and it sort of goes off of that last bit that you were talking about there, which is you then understand that what our job is, is creating an environment in which we can discover things and that we don't actually know what the movie's going to be until we're making it. The problem with that, when you're talking to money people, is that's incredibly <laughs> unstable. You're going to turn to someone and say, give me two million bucks. I don't fucking know what this movie's going to be. <laughs> But give me give me two million dollars to make this film. The next thing that you may need to consider, we all may need to consider, is the next stage is us convincing the world that is wor what is worth money isn't necessarily the final film project, but it's the creative process that we've created, and what you're financing is this petri dish or this fenced off little farm territory in which we're going to raise something and, and create something that's gorgeous based upon everything else that we fucking talked about. And we can't guarantee it's going to be a win or not. You know what I mean? Totally. No, agreed, agreed. And, and it's actually, it's fine. Like indeed the, the, the learning to code switch between talking to the money people and just talking about how <laughs> the, the fundamental <laughs> truth of this art form, <laughs> as you basically just put it, which is because I always have this notion of, you show me anyone who says they can promise you anything, like mm -hmm. like in this business, I'll show you a liar. <laughs> like, <laughs> like 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 true. Like like, and this might be the case for everywhere in life, but I, it's especially true in filmmaking. The more certain someone is about distribution, about financing, about any aspect of filmmaking, 
the kind of like the worst they are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like the true masters. Like if you listen to like the Roger Deacons podcast, he he's constantly just like, I don't fucking know. Like yeah. hey, I don't know. Like, but, but I think it's and I think it's that 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 you know that that truth that was sort of scratching it, which is that you know, and maybe like again, just the the hours conversation of you know what. What, what I forget what the exact amount of hours are that you know it's claimed necessary to become, to, yeah, you know, to become to become a master of something that usually you find that when you then talk to you know usually it's like after you've put in that time you realize how much more there is to know and how much you could you you don't possibly know like my yeah. first film degree when I when I was starting out at this you know, it was film history. And I remember just thinking like, you know, like I was like, well, you know, might as well like learn the history of the art form. And so, and then while I'm learning, you know, about, about Battleship Potemkin and all these like movies and, 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 and watching movies in their historical context. So, you know, people would, you know, we would be, and, and, and weirdly what you take away from that is not now I know film history. It's more, I just appreciate just how much film history there is to know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they showed yeah. me, we watched Breathless. Of course we watched Breathless. Every film student watched Breathless. But then, you know, you have to sort of appreciate, like, every culture has its own era and time for all of those movies. And, of course, study it. And t- but, but weirdly, I think if you really humble yourself at it, you begin to appreciate, yeah, and, and, and there's so much I will never know. I'll never have time to watch all of it and understand all of it. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. that's... Yeah, I like I like that notion of you know you're kind of you're humbling yourself at the altar of the craft. You know, you're kind of going like, hey, you know, I'm not here to say that I know exactly how this is going to go, but I want to. Sure. You know, I'm going to do my damn best, and I'm going <laughs> to and I'm going to and I'm going to use what I have learned. You know, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's interesting, man. I agree with that too. Like it, it's wild as we sort of talk about this stuff, and the, the that's why I like doing the show because I learn from you guys the same way that you know, hopefully you guys are learning from me, and it, like. I think at the, you know, when we talk about spending 10,000 hours, we, we use that term as like a blanket for, for filmmaking. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's 10,000 hours that need to be spent learning on it, each and every aspect of this fucking thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, in the back end of this, I think, and this is me trying not to get out another hole here, but I, I think that what makes great content is when a filmmaker is supported for their process. And when, mm-hmm. and when a filmmaker is, there's an understanding behind how a filmmaker makes his or her movies and an understanding of how a production company makes uh, their movies the same way. And it, and the support of that process to gestate something that's really great, as opposed yeah. to what I think we were to circle back to YouTube and the fucking algorithm game where, <laughs> you know, they decide what is successful based upon the success of something else, which is, you know, Hollywood's done that since they started. Hey, you know, we made Barbie. Can we do another, is there another uh, doll brand out there? You know, we're going to see Cabbage Patch Kid is the next one. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, like I think the hard part of, of us as, as artists is that we're trying to deal with a very algorithmic business right now and you want i mean christopher nolan's movie so successful because christopher nolan knows how to work the business and he 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 knew how to leverage the fact that he got that batman movie he knew how to leverage that to make one for himself and each one that he made for himself he also knew 
what the audience were respecting and loving from his Batman films. So he was working that into his own personal pieces like Inception, et cetera, et cetera, with the sense of action, the same sense of like compositions. And because of that and him understanding that game, he became, he's literally besides Tarantino, and I would even argue he's bigger than Tarantino. He's one of the few directors out there that can dictate to a studio this is my fucking process to the point where he's like, I'm going to shoot this on an archaic uh, film <laughs> format and force the theatrical folks to have to upgrade their their projectors to do this. And it's going to be so successful that it's completely selling out. And uh, if you know anybody else tried to make Oppenheimer, that would have just been a, a special slash drawn out to be a 12 episode bit on a streamer right now. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. And, yeah, and sure. one of the most striking things about like all of Oppenheimer, there's a lot to be said about Oppenheimer, but like, like one of those striking things for me is there's been a lot of talk of his insistence to stay on budget too, yeah. which is just like, like, like you look at that guy and you're like, he's, he's respecting his relationships. Like, yes. he, he, like I think there was something he took out like 15 shooting days so they could build a set or something like that because he was not going to, asking for more money he's like good on he's good on his promises he's good on his word and he respected that you know yeah no, and, I, yeah. I, and i do think you know we we like ryan and i i think something that you know maybe um isn't sort of talked about enough in filmmaking conversations again i do feel like it is among filmmakers like on this uh, like in this conversation but we we constantly talk about how you know there's the work and there's your values with your fellow collaborators. And, and, you know, and I think indie film, unfortunately can be, you know, there's, there's plenty of issues on the studio side, but I think sometimes also indie film can have a kind of race to the bottom attitude when it comes to, come on, this is just a passion project. You got to do it for free because you love it. And, and, and there is a toxic side to that in, yeah. in sort of treating people well and going over and not being respectful of, you know, people's limits. And, and that was also something important for us where it's like, of course we're passionate and we really believe in the story. And, but, but we like, we in no way see that as connected to pushing the limits of our crew in any kind yeah. of unacceptable way. You know, a story we always like to tell, and I, I give Ryan a lot of credit for this was, you know, he, he uh, from the, a lot of crew members basically came and shared that with me as the director, they basically came and said like, Hey, you know, just so you know, like a lot of these kind of like, indie movies that are shot at this level, you know, the, the atmosphere isn't always great and this one has been great. And I, you know, I, I, we always bring this up, this example of like, there was a day when we'd had a tough day, we didn't quite get everything we needed. And, you know, it was maybe sort of a bit of a downer. It was that sort of second week mm -hmm. excitement thing. And then basically Ryan just had a vision and was like, I'm going to make everybody waffles on Tuesday. <laughs> and so the next day he showed up early and the crew just arrived and there's waffles, little pick me up. Everyone's going to be, you know, and it's just because he gauged, Hey, morale is important. Let's treat everybody. Well, let's, you know, make sure that everybody walks away from here, you know, wanting to still wanting to grab a beer with us, hopefully one day, you know, cause I think, I think like the result's going to be the result and it's going to get into the fest it gets into. It's going to not get into the fest it gets into sure. <laughs> and it's going to, it's going to be all those things. But like, you know, I think if I, I, I deep down, we, we both believe that, you know, if you treated people well, they'll give you a second shot, you know? Whereas I think if, if everyone hated their experience, they're probably not going to respond to the call when we want to do another one, you know? Yeah. You just have to be good to people. And like, like if it was one of the, like the biggest compliments I got on set was that no one really knew what I was doing. Like, 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 like every once in a while people would be like, 
are you the you're the producer? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like in charge of everything <laughs> because I'm taking out trash because I'm not going to ask a PA to do something that if I have two minutes to take out the trash, I'm going to fucking take out the trash. Uh, I'm going to make waffles for people. I'm going to like be present and interact with everyone and make sure that like the energy and the atmosphere is conducive to everyone having a good time. Yeah. And I can't promise that because maybe someone's having a bad day or whatever, but like I'm going to do my, my best to be good to people. And that was really, really true during production. Like we just tried to be really kind, really warm and really everything to these people. Um, not just the crew, but the cast and it comes from the top down ideally. Um, and that was true all the way through post where like we spent hundreds of hours holed up in a room editing this movie. Like, you know, we edited it ourselves with our other producer, Ryan Turner of Echo Bend. And, and like, we really grew as brothers and, and as, you know, friends and, and, you know, we just spent 10 days in Italy, like jammed in a small hotel room together. Like, <laughs> like we're doing this because we like each other and because the space between us is, is, is a, a welcoming one. And like that yeah. speaks to our next project and to projects beyond that. And, you know, like you gotta be a good person. And that's, that's the environment we're trying to build. We tried to build on this film. That's the environment we're trying to build with Echo Bend as a company, like be good to people. And that's the only thing that matters like like yeah. like like everything else is is a bonus but you need to be good i love that story man how much did it cost you to feed everybody uh waffles that morning uh dude it, was, it cost like no money to do that like <laughs> i literally had a PA go to target they bought me a waffle maker for like 15 bucks and then there was like two pa- two packages of add water uh, you know, it was like $25 and I paid 40 people waffles. Um, yeah, dude. And then we, you know, we did it another couple of days. Like, like, um, because once you got the waffle, once maker, you got the waffle maker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's very smart, creative, clever producing. And I think that a lot of people that get into the business of producing, get into the business thinking about money and they get into the yeah. business like, there, there's a sense of pride and accomplishment when you've been able to cut down rates and keep money in the budget. And I think that's a big part of how producers are brought up, especially if you're talking in like any sort of business world or like music videos or anything else where it's like, how much money did I save? And I, yeah. I, think, that's a, I think that's a very toxic way of thinking about your job because ultimately your job is people management, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And like, in, in in most scenarios, it's like there's a traditional way of thinking about things as far as like the amount of crew and rates and stuff like that. But like, if it's a music video or if it's a feature film, like if you're trying to accomplish a feature film for fifty thousand dollars or something very very low, yep. um, don't try to make a five hundred thousand dollar movie for fifty thousand dollars. Make the fifty thousand dollar movie. And and if you can maintain a certain non toxic understanding with your crew members. Um, that's what you want. That's what you should be striving for. Like, like, because uh, the truth yeah. is, because I do think the truth is, you know, in Los Angeles being such a big hub for this, it's like people do come here because they want to do it, and that yeah. passion to do things for yeah. not exactly the rate that 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 exists. But but I think there's also you know when 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 the industry meets <laughs> when when people who are passionate to do this because it's all we want to do meets capitalism, there can be like this gross. Uh, use of that but i think like but but i think there is a way to earnestly engage that passion you just have to 
but I think it's just, yeah, it's communication. It's being clear. It's, you know, yeah. and, and, and I've, I very much resonate with what you're saying about producing, you know, as I sort of mentioned, when I first moved, even though I, you know, my passion was kind of primarily writing and directing, my degree was uh, producing at, mm. uh, when I was here for film school. And there was always this quote that um, the, the former head of our program uh, had, which was, um, you know, it was basically like a director makes the film, but a producer makes the film happen. Like, and it was just that very simple notion of like, mm. produce, you know, there's a reason that a producer is often the guy who's, you know, the, 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 the person holding up the best picture Oscar, you know, cause like they moved the whole shit. They facilitated the whole, they, they found the material, worked with the people and basically made uh, that, you know, they're a storyteller in every sense of the word. Uh, and I, completely to your point it's net it should never just be boiled down to yeah i managed to like <laughs> i managed to save some money <laughs> yeah and like one, one more note just to like the the lower rates thing like we had we had one crew member who was like a total um like totally like an asset he was like our second ac mm-hmm. he made he made cuban coffee for everyone two times a day he'd go around with a little kettle and he had come off of like a reality gig where he was making i think double the rate he was uh, on our project and he, it was just a bad environment for him. He didn't want to be in it anymore. He took this just to do something creative to work on a feature. And he was so thankful to us during the shoot and after, cause he was like, this is exactly what I needed. It wasn't, yeah, he's got a family. He's got bills to pay. He's, he, there was a certain expectation, but there was a clarity on what the rate was and what the environment was. And, and, and he accepted that and we made it the best possible environment that we could. Mm-hmm. And he was so grateful for that. And, and I think that it's, it's okay if you need to pay people not exactly what you really wish you could as long as, you, as, long as they understand that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Be forthcoming. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, that's, that's where there can be this, you know, we're all, we're all used to having to go into those conversations with people with a certain like being ready for is there like a lot of poker here but i think when you're forthcoming you can break through that you know it's like hey this is what we're making this is where we're at this is what we can afford to do we value you for this reason and and i do think i think also a lot of creative people in this business whether that across the board you know every every department yeah exactly like i feel like there are lots of jobs where people don't feel listened to yeah you know feel like they have a chance to actually be creative and do the reason they want to be in this business in the first place so like you know i think if you can like which which is what i i, I liked what you said earlier mike about about you know can 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 you offer like invest in the process i build yeah. is, is a nice idea because then it's you know it's basically like hey you know like like you're gonna you're gonna get a chance to actually put your stamp on this, yeah you know yeah yeah i mean and and I think what we're doing, and I've talked about this a bunch on recent episodes, we're just sorting through traumas, right? We're sorting through our own trauma, and we're sorting through the traumas of other crew folks, because this business oftentimes abuses and takes advantage of folks, and there's a reason why, you know, a big majority of all of all of the people that work in this business are striking right now, um, mm-hmm. and the, there's value in, in finding the folks that you want to work hard for. And Mm -hmm. when you find that family, and like you guys said, you're all sharing hotel rooms in Italy together. You find that family, that is worth more than a few extra bucks. That's worth more than, you know, getting, you know, $50 more per day to do something. Because everybody that gets into this job, at least on a crew position, 
I, I there's been a very hand, few handful amount of people that are like, I'm going to make a lot of money. And those are usually people that own a lot of gear. <laughs> Most folks that are working with their hands that get into this business or working as a freelancer in this business are doing it because they are still somewhere underneath all those scars. They are still starry eyed and they still get very excited being on set. And this is warm sort of fuzzy feeling when you show up on week two of a project and everybody knows each other and everybody's laughing and they're happy and they're excited. And, and even if you're hustling and you're working hard and you're sweating, it's, you're still showing up and you're fucking pumped about it. That's why we, we get into this business. That's what we want to do it for, you know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, dudes, this is, uh, I, I know that we didn't talk in detail about your film, Me, Myself, and the Void. And those of you listening to the show, we'll make sure to put the trailer up and you'll, you'll have access to it. I'm excited to see the whole film, man. Like, I liked, yeah, I liked what I saw in the trailer. I like that you guys are like designing a strange, like, void like place. It's very sort of cerebral. Uh, it's right up my alley, man. So I, I, I can't wait to see the whole piece. Um, and uh, I wish you guys the most success. Are you guys continuing to do the festival run with it right now? Is that the deal? Yeah, yeah. We're still out to like a bunch of festivals. Um, I mean, if anyone was interested in, in kind of following along with the film, like we just have an Instagram page. It's just me, myself, and the void yep, on Instagram. Voidmovie.com. Voidmovie.com, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're excited. And, and also just you know, like excited to share it with you and echo back at you. We also enjoyed watching who's there and uh, 12, 12 kilometers. Oh, those cool. were very cool. And, like, thanks for sharing those ahead of time. Cause it was again, like, like we said earlier, like when, when setting out to make a film, you don't know where it's going to lead you. And we're certainly gr- glad that it led to crossing paths with you and yeah. see your stuff and have this conversation. Oh, thanks, yeah. fellas. And hopefully we'll have news soon um, about like the distribution and stuff. Like, like, like we are so genuinely building the track in front of our train and so, like, w- yeah. we're having those conversations. Like, we have fortunately have a few partners who are interested in working with us, and hopefully, that means that we'll be able to to get it out there in a public way yeah. very soon. <laughs> Certainly, to any filmmakers watching, it's it's a, a frustrating aspect that nobody warns you for is that there's this horrible limbo period when you've made a movie <laughs> where you can go, "Hey, can I see it?" And you're sort of like. No. no. Yes, <laughs> kind of. The file exists, but uh, like, you yeah. know, like, uh, and and I'm very excited to no longer have that be our response, and that we can just say, click the link. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah, man. I already working on the next one too, so the journey, continues. the adventure will continue. Well, hell yeah, fellas. Well, look, I appreciate you uh, uh, sharing as much honestly as you did on the show, and uh, I'm happy that uh, we met. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. And we live so close. You got you got to come by the office. I dude, totally. We'll talk offline in a sec. You got to come by. All right. That's it, man. What a great episode. Surprisingly. Right off the gate. Right out of the gate, we went right into it. Um, and I like Tim and Ryan. They're honest. I like their passion. Uh, we just talked offline. I'm, I'm gonna go hang out with those guys. Maybe we'll post some pictures. We'll get it up. Uh, I'm excited uh, for them, and I'm happy to hear that uh, the passion is strong. The passion is strong with them. Fucking Yoda reference. Uh, but yeah, man. Thanks for being here. Hope you guys learned something. Hope you guys uh, 
Hope you guys feel a bit of empowerment, a bit of reaffirmment in your passion. And, and I really pay attention to when we start talking about producing. And I'm going to call this episode, Be Kind to People. Just because I feel like you should, I think out of all the nuggets that we talked about on today's show, that waffle making one is super smart. It's super smart, man. And you've heard me talk about this on the Love Sandwich episodes. You've heard me talk about this on food episodes. You get people in with food and it's very inexpensive. And if I have a producer that's thinking like that, he's going to get the utmost respect from me. Because if she can come up with an idea like that, that is that clever, and it doesn't cost a fucking dime, and it really changes the way everybody feels on set, gold star. Gold star. You know? Anyway, I promised at the beginning of the episode I'd catch you guys up on a little bit of what's going on. Uh, I I don't think I posted any pictures about it, but your boy uh, is uh, was beaten up a little bit. Uh, if uh, you saw me in some way in public, you would have seen that I had uh, completely skinned knees, bruised shins, smashed up hand, and uh, a big old scar bruise on my cheek. And uh, uh, <laughs> the joke was, is I had to go to, uh, to a bunch of events with like these oozing wounds. Uh, folks were like, what happened to you? And I went, I went to the Metallica show. <laughs> Which is true. I went and I got to see Metallica. I got to see Pantera open for Metallica. I went with my buddy Will. And uh, we had a fucking epic time. Uh, we went to the big stadium out here, the big football stadium. What is it called? I forget. The big one. And uh, pretty crazy, man. Over 70,000 people. Um, it was nuts. I mean, when you're, when you're seeing a show like that in a stadium... You know, you're pretty far back. Unless you got down in the pit, you're pretty far back. So you're looking at these little guys. And I've seen Metallica. This probably would be like the fifth time I've seen Metallica, fourth, fifth time that I've seen them. So luckily I'd seen them before. And you sort of have to become adjusted to like how small they are when you're in a stadium. But uh, what I loved about it, and what what I think is very special about Metallica in general is that the, the 40 plus years that they have been playing in stadiums and playing at such a huge level that they've mastered the way they sound mastered it so like you're in this huge stadium where if the audience just yells whoa you hear the echoes all over the place right but their sound engineers and their tech that they're using none of it echoes it's insane when they play it back so it was fun to listen to uh such a loud show in such a large environment. Um, and who, who the fuck thought that I would ever be able to see Pantera, right? If any of you are heavy metal fans out there, you know that Dimebag was shot. Uh, you know his brother, the drummer, died. Um, and Phil Ensemble has been kicking around. He's a crazy man. He's been kicking around doing a bunch of side acts. Um, and so when I heard that uh, Pantera was opening, I was like, What? And I was like, well, who who's going to replace Dimebag, right? Dimebag, the lead guitarist. You know, if it, like this is me getting real nerdy on the metal guy side, but uh, you know, fucking Cemetery Gates and the 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 very sort of specific sound that he had as a guitarist, which ultimately sound like someone's taking a power drill 
<laughs> to his strings, the like the hard sound that he has, the strangling of a cat. That is very Pantera. I'm like, who the fuck is going to replace this guy? And is it going to be interesting? And uh, yeah, they replaced him. And they replaced him with Zach Wild. Fucking Zach Wild walks out on the stage. And I know I'm getting real nerdy right now. And some of you guys and girls out there aren't metal fans. Who's Zach Wild? He's known for his squealing guitar. And he's known as the guitarist for Ozzy. So he played with Ozzy for years. He also has his own band, Black Label Society. He is the equivalent of Slash, but Slash in the metal world, is my thought. Um, and it was pretty cool to see him on stage. And fuck, they sounded great too. So I know you're asking the big, the big question here though. Mike, how'd you get beaten up? <laughs> so what happened was we were leaving the stadium, walking out of the space, and I'm in a sea of dudes, right? A lot of guys. A lot of ladies there, but a lot of guys were all crammed in together and we're sort of just following in the current as it pushes out of the stadium. And I was booking the lift. And as we're walking, you can't really see in front of you, just sort of following the hurt. And as I'm walking, I look down and I go, let me see if our lift's here. And what I didn't see was the fact that a curb showed up. Like all of a sudden, like the curb dropped, your boy hits it goes over hard so i go over in this group and i start to fall and this is what's fucked up right i start to fall i put my left hand down i'm sorry my right hand down i hit my knee first slammed down on my hand right and then because i'm holding my cell phone like a moron because i'm holding my cell phone i'm protecting that and I start to roll, all the energy starts to roll to my left-hand side, and I fucking hit the ground with my face. So it goes bam, bam, bam. And so if you speed that up to regular speed, I look like one of those penguins that tried to make it off the iceberg, but didn't. They jumped too soon. That was that was me. And in my head, I'm going down slow motion. You're talking to a guy that had a massive head injury from falling on the ice. So in my head, I'm going down slow motion going, motherfucker. And I'm able to say all this as I'm going down. And as I'm hitting, I go, knee. I I, I just watched uh, Guy Ritchie's uh, Sherlock Holmes again the other night. And you know those moments where Robert Downey Jr. is sort of explaining how he's going to punch this guy. He goes through the whole process. It was me in my head. I'm like, here goes the knee. There's the shin. There's my hand. Bam, bam, bam. And I go, fuck the face. And I hit. Um, it was quick. What's great about a Metallica show is that all the guys, it doesn't matter how they look from the outside, metal dudes are the kindest dudes. They really are. They're really nice, gentle people. They're big bears that that uh, want to look abrasive, but they're they're sweethearts, man. You know. Um, and so I, a bunch of these guys helped me up. Will helped me up, and I'm just bleeding everywhere. Right? I got blood coming out of my knees. I got blood coming out of my face. And we're in the middle of fucking those, this giant parking lot, the sea of people. And so, you know, it's fine. The adrenaline's kicking. So I just walk with Will. We walk. We had to walk out quite a ways to be able to get a lift. And uh, I remember we, I'm just walking like a fucking zombie. And uh, we get into this parking lot and uh, the, the lift guy's there and he opens the door and he looks at me and he goes, what the fuck? <laughs> 
I'm getting in, brother. I'm getting in. I won't get my blood all over your seats, but I'm getting in, man. You got to get me out of here. Um, and then I went back to Will's house. He tried to, to bandage me up. Gentleman ordered a pizza. And we did that. And then I uh, came home and then Gina was like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, your boy's getting old. It's going to go on to concerts and falling down. And that's what happened to me. So uh, right now I'm about a week and change out of that. And so right now everything seems to be healing up pretty good. I've got like this toad skin scab over my knee, which looks hot. It's hot. Nothing turns on a lady like an old toad skin scab. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm all right. I made it. Made it. Fun show. Crazy experience. Um, and uh, I was proud to be able to do it. Um, it's been a while since I've been to a big concert like that. So. Thanks, Will, for the tickets. Um, and uh, thanks, Gina, for the cleanup. Thanks, Will, for the He'll get via hurt. You you did clean me up, too, buddy. You cleaned me up, too. Uh, I appreciate the both of you. And before I go, I just want to put it on the record right now. It's the 6th. Today's my dad's birthday. I'm calling you. I haven't called you yet because I got my ass out of the bed this morning and I had a meeting and another phone meeting and then this podcast. So I'm going to finish this podcast and I'm going to call you and wish you a happy birthday today. So happy birthday, Dad. I know you listen to the show um, and you're going to get a call from me soon. All right, gang, that's it. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Thanks for supporting the show and your, your homework before you go. Your homework is this. Tell a couple of your friends about us. Tell a couple of your filmmaking friends about us. How often do you hear a show where you're getting the honest, 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 honest truth about what it's like to work in this business. If you've got some friends in this business, spread the truth. Tell them to listen. All right? That's it. I'll see you next Tuesday.